I believe I'm correct in saying that the first time of the agape love is used in the gospel of John. Would you know where it would be? For God so loved the world. Very good. John 3.16, the first time that agape, self-sacrificing love is used. And if your Bibles are open, we're just a little bit. I like the last two verses, John 20, 30, and 31. John 20, 30, and 31. We're following along there. John 20, 30, and 31 says for us, what wonderful verses and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. I wonder if he didn't put his pen down right there for just a few moments and had a little bit of a praise the Lord, hallelujah, shouting time there, because that's what the book of John is for. That you, if you reject Christ, <clears throat> you've missed the whole purpose of the gospel of John, it seems. Not it seems, it is. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is powerful. Uh, I am nothing and you are everything. I pray that you'd help me today. Cleanse me of sin. Empty me of self and fill me with your spirit, please. Be it those teaching downstairs. Be it those who are away, traveling out of town this week. Others who are ill. Others who are here and are ill. Pray that you strengthen their bodies. May our lives be ones that reflect you. May others see Jesus in us and give us opportunities this week, Lord, to share this wonderful news. It's not, you're not here, and we all know that, to hear an eloquent preacher. We are here to hear the gospel proclaimed. And to understand and find out how that we too can know Christ as Savior. So Lord, if it even be one person under the sound of my voice in any capacity, I pray that they do not know Christ. They would come to receive him as their very own and to enjoy heaven for eternity with him. And ask all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The doubter's declaration. The doubter's declaration. <clears throat> now, I did find out. Perhaps you're wondering why I never tell jokes. Very few jokes. I know you laugh at the cats, etc. But uh, sort of like the thing I saw on the internet this week. There was a guy who was on a Zoom meeting, on a Zoom meeting, and he told a joke, and no one laughed. They said, "You're not even remotely funny." <laughs> on our text today. On our text today, we find this is the day of the resurrection. The context is Christ had been raised by the power of God, showing that he was truly God, received Christ's payment for your sin, for my sin, and so it's a glorious day. I never shall forget that day. Trust that you, from history time, will never forget that wonderful day. It's the same day. We find out that probably Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had been ostracized from the Sanhedrin now because of their bearing of Christ. What was Pilate doing? Can you imagine Pilate the morning, the resurrection morning, and he goes, uh, Pilate, sir, uh, uh, I just want you to know something really strange happened, and the stone was rolled away, and we blacked out for a while, and there were two, two people in white, and the body is gone. And the Pharisees and Sadducees are saying somebody stole the body, but... We were there the whole... We don't know what happened. Can you imagine, Pilate? I should have listened to my wife. No, I had anything to do with this Jesus of Nazareth. So it probably was not a good day for Mr. Pilate. By the way, I believe that he was exiled and died in a... I forget. I can't remember. He did not have a good ending, I do not believe, Mr. Pilate. I can tell you right now, unless he changed his ways, he doesn't have a good continuing right now. 
What expectations? The disciples, where have the disciples been? Well, in our text, they're hiding likely in the upper room. The door is shut. I mean, if you have people who will crucify their maker, they're surely going to come after his disciples if they're not careful. And so they were in this room, sequestered there, perhaps like a jury, if you would, until, I'm not sure what they're going to happen until, well, Christ comes. So two big points. Number point, number one, all distress is banished. And we see his peace and triumph in all situations. And look at the time in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, probably at least 8 o'clock, no sooner than 8 in the evening. Why would you say that, Pastor Tim? Because there was the two disciples, perhaps Cleopas and his wife, on the road to Emmaus, and they return to Jerusalem. If you remember, he told us everything. He, they meet with the disciples. Perhaps they're even in the upper room with them here. So it's the same day, if you would, that Christ was raised. The time, the terror in verse 19, and the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Naturally, they're afraid what might happen to them. I mean, they just scattered the night of his arrest. Only Peter and John were at the cross. Peter has been reconciled with John. Bible says even that he met Christ on the day of resurrection. So maybe he, he helped to get reconciled. Now, in the next chapter, he really gets reconciled. But we, we, Peter's there, other disciples, except for Mr. Thomas. By the way, I found out he appeared at least five times on the day of resurrection. Mary Magdalene, the other women, Peter, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, and then to the disciples here in the upper room. Five times the first day of his resurrection. They're afraid. And that time terror transformation in 19 going to 20 came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you, shalom. And when he had said so, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples, what's the next word? Glad. When they saw the Lord. My goodness, wouldn't you have been glad? You're the disciples. You thought your Lord was dead. And now he appears to you. They were excited. If he were to walk into this building this morning, I, I probably would be just a little bit uh, afraid. When you, we've never had this before. But they were glad when they saw the Lord. Transformation. They've gone from, from, from being scaredy cats, if you would. Sorry, cats. Scaredy cats, if you would. For just and now, they're going to have, because the next time, and eight days later, there doesn't say anything about their fear. It was not unnatural to be afraid. Matter of fact, in Luke 24, it says they thought they had saw, seen a spirit, a ghost. What does Christ do? Shows them his hands and his side. What he did not, did you ever notice this? He doesn't show them the feet. Never in the Gospels does he ever say, and look at the prints in my feet. However, we find in Psalm twenty-two sixteen, clearly his feet were pierced as well. Transformation. They were glad when they saw the Lord. Weren't you glad when you trusted Christ as Savior? Aren't you still glad? We, we have this wonderful news, and, and, and we have this joy. And I tell you, by my face sometimes, you wouldn't know it. I have to admit, the one cat gets under our bed. I've got, I've got her fixed, though, because I've got a squirt bottle for her next time. She gets under there, and she lays on her back, and she claws her way under on our mattress underneath on the floor. I said this morning, I have to confess, I don't think it's a sin necessarily. I said, I hate you sometimes. Is that wrong to hate a cat sometimes? I don't know. But anyway, I, just sometimes. So she's, she's there. And so, but by our face sometimes, we just don't have that joy of the Lord. This is the songwriter, the joy of the Lord. Is that not even Bible? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I think that's somewhere in there, probably. I don't know for sure, but it's a good, either way. The joy of the Lord. So we see all desires, all distress, I'm sorry, all distress banished, his peace 
and triumphant in all situations, his peace triumphant in all service. Look at 21, the enlistment, their enlistment. And then he said Jesus unto them again, peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, they're going to be commissioned, just as the Father commissioned Christ to share the good news, he's commissioned the disciples, and all who go on before we are his disciples, we are commissioned to to share the good news. If we don't share the good news, who will? If we don't share it, the world's certainly not going to share the good news of Christ. Matter of fact, the world is bent on destroying Christ or putting him aside or everything he has done. They want to lay it aside and do their own thing. That's the world ideology. They're, they're, they're enlistment. Now they're enablement. 22. And when he had said thus, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye. The Holy Ghost. Breathe is the same word used in Genesis 2 in the Septuagint, Genesis 2, 7. The Lord breathed into Adam's nostrils and the breath of life. He became a, a living soul. To breathe with force is what the word means. So as the risen Lord breathed on the disciples, they received the person of the Holy Spirit. Now we know also the Holy Spirit came in power on the day of Pentecost and the disciples turned the world upside down. This task was humanly impossible. I mean, to evangelize a God-hating, Christ-rejecting world of unregenerate people dead in trespasses and sins and organized into a satanically energized system and society? I mean, it's impossible on our own. It still is. We are a, we are a Christ-rejecting world of unregenerate people dead in trespasses and sins. It wasn't just the early church. It's the church now. It seems like a lot more headway of late. It seems. Could it possibly be the church as a whole we have not done our job, our calling? I think very much so. Revival starts with whom? Us. The pastor and you, the church. Revival starts in the church. The, un- the unbelieving world cannot be revived. They've never been alive in the first place. So to be revived, that means they have to be have been alive at one time to be revived. The enlistment, the enablement, and then their ennoblement in 23. Whosoever, I read it wrong earlier, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. I'll have to tell you, people have gone to seed on this verse and gotten almost a, a godlike power. There's a certain, we've just, oh, there's, they're apostles. Well, I, if I can trace my apostleship back to the disciples, then I can have the same power to do what? To forgive sin. Now, let's, get, let's think clearly. Let's think biblically. We know for sure it cannot mean that we have in our own right or virtue of something of us to forgive sins. Now, you can forgive others, but I cannot forgive your sin. And when you confess to me, I've, I've robbed the bank, you are absolved. I have no right to do that. That's not, I'm not the person to do that. The scribes were right. Even the, the haters of Jesus said, "Son, thy, when he said, sons be, thy sins be forgiven, who can forgive sins but God only, Mark 2, 7. And they were spot on this time. Only God can forgive our sins. You can forgive others, but you can't forgive them of their sins in order to be them to be saved. 
So it can't mean that. The story is told, of a true story is told of a dying woman who had been Catholic for a long time. But she had known Christ as personal Savior for a long time after that. And she'd left the confession, she'd left doing penance and left attending that church. But instead, she'd studied her Bible and and gathered with those who were of like faith. So on her deathbed, some well-meaning relatives sent for the parish priest to come and and to read her her last rites. And the woman said to the priest, show me your hands. And the priest extended his hands and she examined them. She said, nope, you're an imposter, sir. Because the one who forgives my sins died for me and there's prince of the nails in his hands. I know they're well-meaning, but no priest on this earth, human being, can forgive me of my sin. I'm not trying to cast, I'm not trying to be disparaging other people. They just can't. The Bible is clear. This is the context. So the Lord's showing his disciples the nail prints in his hands. He talked to them about forgiving sins and, and not forgiving sins. The prerogative, I tell you, is his alone. He died on the cross. And you want to know that very day he is raised from the dead to prove that he did that. So you want to talk about forgiving sins? It's a prerogative of Christ alone, period. It is. I like what Henry Moore says. If you, ever, if you have a Henry Moore study Bible, I'm on page 1621, under the 22023, it says, Only Christ can forgive sins. And he does this so on the basis of saving faith in himself. The disciples, however, were given authority to recognize such faith and then to give assurance to new believers. The authorization, as evident from the tenses in the Greek, would be understand, whosoever sins ye remit, they shall have been remitted unto them. What it's really saying is, we can, we have the ability, because what Christ has said, I can tell you this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you by faith, by grace through faith, call upon Christ as your Savior, repent of your sin, believing he died on the cross, was buried and gloriously resurrected, and that he is God and died for you based upon Scripture, I can tell you your sins have been forgiven if you really do that. Based upon Scripture, I can also tell you if you don't do that, your sins are not forgiven. That's the idea here. It's not that. Chris Leitenheimer as some kind of spiritual giant. And when I sinned, I come to Chris and said, Chris, I, I, I was real ugly to my wife, and I really, you're absolved, Tim, from that. He can't do that. I go to my heavenly Father, who with the intercession of the Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, I have sinned. That's where I go. No human being has that prerogative. But I can tell you, if you'll trust him, and mean business, he'll forgive your sins. And that's the idea here. Whosoever, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Christ has that capability. We do not. And so please don't go to seed on that verse as some have to. Some give some right to human beings to forgive sin. We cannot. We can forgive others, but we cannot forgive their sin. So the doubter's declaration, and the second, we see then, that's the title, and then the, all distress banished, and secondly, all doubts are banished. Thomas's uh, problem with Thomas was really his unbelief. We call him doubting Thomas, but I'm telling you, unbelieving Thomas would be a little more accurate. First of all, we see two things under this all doubts banished, the then and there. Now consider that Thomas was resolute in his unbelief. I like what Lewis said in his book, uh, Grief Observed. He said, you never know how much you really believe anything until a truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. 
It is easy to say you believe in a rope to be strong as long as you're merely using it to wrap around the box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a cliff. Would you not then first discover how much you really trusted it? Do you believe? Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you really trust him? And that is the question. It's not just a head knowledge. It is a heart belief and receiving of him as Savior. I was shared this week from Facebook. Every once in a while, there's something really good on there. The umbrella cannot stop the rain, but it allows us to stand in the rain. Faith in God may not remove our trials, but it gives us strength to overcome them. It's still going to be raining when I'm under the umbrella. We can have faith. It doesn't remove those trials, but it helps us to overcome them. So the doubt is declared in 24 and 25. We know next to nothing of Thomas, really. Possibly, uh, we know that uh, Didymus means twin in the Greek. Perhaps Matthew was his twin. We don't know for sure. He has a twin brother, a twin sister, likely somewhere. It might have been Matthew. Why do you say that? Because they're listed together in the disciples' order. Find in Thomas is Aramaic for twin, Didymus, Greek for twin. So he had that. Interesting, we see these doubts of Thomas are declared. What Thomas missed, I like this little uh, alliterated from Pastor Alan Carr. What Thomas missed, the first meeting time. What Thomas missed by being in this church. The presence of the Lord, the power, the peace, the praises, the promotions, and the provisions of the Lord. He missed all those the first time. He wasn't there. Thomas reminds us to all of us, really reminds us to those who aren't here. Those who absent themselves from services. Why do people do that? The only other person who is absent, again, is Thomas. He's one of the twelve. Why did Thomas stay away? By the way, that one of the twelve is used only one other time in John and refers to you-know-who. He who will not be named Judas Iscariot. So why did he stay away? Perhaps Thomas said to himself, I'm too busy. I'm tired tonight. I think I'll just stay home. It's dangerous. Why wasn't he in the upper room the first time? It's dangerous to be out, perhaps he said that. We're courting trouble by meeting together in groups, given the political and religious climate. Or, wow, my favorite TV program's on tonight. Or, I just stayed up too late last night. Or, I have an important game today. Or, my grandchildren are have a sporting event. Or, it's my only day off. Why do we absent ourselves? And I was just thinking this morning, 5.30, 5.15, got up again. Now, some of you I know earlier than that. Why am I getting about 5.15 on Sunday morning? There's people all across Greenup County, Souda County, Lawrence County, and they're going to sleep in until they get up at maybe uh, oh, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Maybe they just skip the whole morning and get up after lunch. And they're, they're going to spend their day on the TV, or they might get their fishing boat out. They might go to the golf course, and they'll just have a big old time and... They go to bed and they'll have a, well, tomorrow's Monday, I have to go to work Monday. And they will have missed the greatest thing. We forget sometimes, and, if, and forgive us, forgive me, for ever seeing this as, it is our duty, it's command, yes, but it's also the privilege that we meet together. That's, that's why we gather together. We gather together to worship the Lord. And if you need no other reason, he died for you, that you might have life everlasting. Were the whole realm of nature mind that's a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Isaac Watts said it. That's exactly what it is. This, this halfway Christianity, I don't find that in the Bible. 
I don't find a just so-so, or I'm just going to, I'm just going to eat by, I'm going to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I'm going to live so worldly. I just tell you, a lot of Christians this morning, I'm telling you, if the Lord's coming back today, I really don't want to go right now. I really don't want to go right now. I hope he comes back, you know, when I'm like 85, 87, 90, 93, something like that. Because I want to live my life. There's just so much down here. Oh, we've got it all wrong. Got it all wrong. We are going where it's exciting. We are going to land. And perhaps you don't understand that because you haven't been reading your Bible. You haven't been praying. This, this relationship with God, you just know so little about it. You know he's saying, you believe all those things, but there's a lot. you haven't been growing in the Lord. What he had missed. But Thomas was not with him. What a shame, 24. How Thomas was not there. I can tell you, whatever it was that caused him to miss that meeting, he, was it worth it? To miss seeing the risen Lord and Savior, and you're doing well. I don't know what it, maybe he's fishing. Maybe he was catching a lot of largemouth bass in the river. I don't know. See a galley, whatever he was. I don't think it's close to Jerusalem, so it couldn't be that, I guess. It wasn't worth it. How many times have you, have you missed church and there's a missionary? Oh my goodness, what a great missionary time you missed. And was, what a challenge that was, or so and so was there, or what a, and what a the message spoke to my heart. And, when we're not there, you're going to miss that. On the strength of Matthew 18.20, we can possibly affirm that people who absent themselves from the meetings of the church always miss a meeting with the Lord. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there we're what? We're, he's there in the midst, is it not? The Bible says so, Matthew 18. A long time ago, several centuries ago, in a village in, in Europe, a nobleman wanted to know how he could be remembered He'd been a very gracious nobleman. So he said, I'm going to build them a church. So he, he built them a very nice church, and the people would come and visit, but they, they never saw the plans until the day it opened. And so he invited them all in, and one said, but where is the lighting? Where are the lamps? And he said to each family, now you will notice where you sit in the church, there's a lamp bracket right there. And here are your lamps. So every time you're not here, there'll be no light in your section. For people to see. That's a, that's a pretty good ingenious way to get people in church. No light. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But that's, we are the light. He's left. He's so send I you. The doubts of Thomas declared what Thomas missed and then what Thomas manifested in 25. The other disciples said unto him, we have seen the Lord. And by the way, that said is in the repetitive tense, or not, but the continuing, is that infinitive? I think infinitive. Repetitively said over and over, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And Thomas said, oh, I don't care what you say. I won't believe until I see it. I put my, my hands, fingers in the prints of his hands and into his side. I won't believe until then. I will not believe. Now, I don't think we sometimes have not understood the significance of what Je he was saying, Jesus never condemned him for doubts. Jesus rebuked him for unbelief. We'll see that in just a moment. Strong language, tangible proof. We have seen the Lord. People today, well, if, if we had just had the miracles, we no, you wouldn't believe on him if he had miracles because people saw miracles in, at his own hands and didn't believe him. Well, if we just would see it. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. You must have faith. That he did what he said he did. 
that he will do for you what he says he will do. The corporate testimony of the Lord's people to the reality of the presence in the meeting leaves this absentee quite cold, I believe. He wouldn't believe even though they declared it. Interesting. He says, I will not see until I see the prince of nails. The word print there occurs in Paul's word to the Thessalonians. You were examples, a pattern. The word example is the same word there in 1 Thessalonians 1, 7. The word is T-U-P-O-N in the Greek. It means, it's the idea, is it's mark. They had on them the marks of Calvary. Until I see the prince. You know, except we see the marks on the cross on you, the world does not have to believe in us. They won't maybe maybe this, but they don't want to hear about our teaching. They don't want to hear about our worldview. Certainly don't want to hear about my worldview. They don't want to hear about our faith. They don't want to hear about reminded that Christ died on the cross and rose again. I don't want to believe. They have a right to see on us, though, however, the marks that Christ has changed us. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. Beautiful song. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. It was a battle of the will, wasn't? Most agnostics say, "I cannot." Thomas said what? Do you read it for yourself. I will, end of 25, not believe. The doubts of Thomas are declared. The doubts of Thomas are discussed in 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within. Thomas was with them. Eight days, of course, is as inclusive. The festivals are over. Probably the last day they're going to be in Jerusalem and they're going to depart and go their separate ways in a way. And you wonder what they talked about. What did they discuss, the disciples, the entire week after Christ is, ri- uh, Christ is risen? Did you see about, hear about that? Yes, and maybe they're excited they'd meet together. The meeting, the master, and then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. What amazing thing. Wouldn't that have been kind of startling? But perhaps the second time, they weren't quite so fearful. It doesn't say they were afraid. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst, and peace be unto you. And that's what he brings. Christ brings peace. He brings the peace that passes understanding. That's what Christ brings. Peace be unto you. The meeting, the master, the message. Then saith 27, he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it in my side and be not faithless, but believing. He did not say, Thomas, stop doubting. He said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving. Jesus clearly commanded Thomas to stop his unbelief and start believing. Jesus was generous and merciful to Thomas in his his unbelief, but Jesus did not praise his unbelief. Jesus wanted to move him from doubt and unbelief to faith. Jesus did not even credit Thomas for his prior belief or his belief in the prior teaching of miracles of Jesus. Because Thomas did not believe in the resurrected Jesus, Jesus considered him as still what? Unbelieving. It was a serious thing. Thomas was He was on the cusp of here of possibly going into unbelief. A serious time. Can you imagine every single eye centered on Thomas and Jesus? What's he going to do? Is he going to... You notice he never... He never did this. He never did that. Look what the Bible says for us. This next verse. Be not unbelieving. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. 
I don't see here that he actually had seeing. He, oh, that's enough for me. I'm overwhelmed with this. That you, he was convinced once and for all. He was so convinced. Matter of fact, he went to India and died of a spear thrust because he was had been faithful sharing the gospel. He died a martyr's death. That's how convinced he was. And name it that times eleven. John's the only one I think did not die a martyr's death of the of those eleven there. Only one. My Lord, he put him on the throne of his heart. My God, the throne of the universe. That's what he says. What a great declaration. What have you said about Jesus? It is not going to matter what team you voted for. It's not going to even matter what, what politician you vote for down the road. It doesn't matter who, doesn't matter who about that when you stand before God. It's going to be, what did you do with Jesus? That is the question. It's not who you're standing beside. I've got Bill Gates on this side and Warren Buffett. Well, who cares about that? They're the same when you and I stand there. I mean, they could buy me 50,000 times over, and then some probably. More than that, more likely. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And unless they change their... Unless they're on the... Maybe, on the, maybe they're right with the Lord. Unless they're right with the Lord, we're not standing together at the, at, in front of Christ. The believer stands at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. The unbeliever stands at the great white throne judgment of which there'll be no hope if you're standing there. Do you know the Christ? And I love that verse in 29. There only is the great confession. There's the great contrast. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Woohoo! There's us. We should be, yippee, right there. Blessed. We've not seen it, but we can still get in. We can still get in by our belief. The apostolic age was over by the time John writes his gospel. The visible appearances of the Lord had long ceased. Faith has had to replace sight by now already. How many had been born since Christ had been crucified? That was 30 AD. So you're talking about 50 or 60 years. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Those that insist on signs and wonders, you may have your, you may have your way when it comes, because there are going to be a lot of signs and wonders in the tribulation. Be witnesses. There's going to be the, the, the false prophet who's going to do great signs and wonders for the beast. A lot of that in Apocalypse, the Revelation. But he's not asking us to see a miracle and believe in the miracle. He's asking us to believe his word. That's, he wrote it that we might believe. I mean, it's there for you. All doubts banished, then and there, and then the here and now. And many other signs. Who did Jesus in the presence of the disciples? Signs. Now, what is a sign? A sign simply points to something. It says stop, which you were supposed to be obeying, by the way. <clears throat> Even over here. Uh, stop the stop I know someone took it down over here at the three-way turn, so we don't have to stop there anymore. I don't know if it's officially taken down, but I don't see one there, so I can just turn right without just... We're supposed to... It points to something else, does it not? It does. And that's what signs are in this. John used seven or eight miracles to point to Jesus that was the purpose. Don't get hung up on the... It's not like I stop at the stop. Oh, look at that nice eight-sided thing there. It's red. A real, I like that candy apple red. Oh, and that white and, and that lettering, that, that font. I like, this, I like the font of the S-T-O-P. Wow, man. And I look at that and I zoom, speed through the intersection and I get smashed, 
crash, burn. Because I'm looking at this. The sign is not what we're studying. It's what we're supposed to do. The sign is He is the risen Lord of power and glory. That's, what we're, that's why the signs are here. That we go beyond the sign to the Savior. That's why we do that. It's interesting. I just read this statistic which I thought quite uh, enlightening. Scholars have concluded that the Gospels only record about 50 days of Jesus' ministry in all the combined Gospels. Yet Jesus' total ministry were three and a half years, about 180 days. That means that we only have a record of 4.6% of Jesus' ministry. We have 4.6%. Can you imagine the other 95.4%? Wow. And there's enough in here for us to chew on for your entire life and then some. Can't you, we get to heaven, there's going to be probably some miracles that are going, wow, let me just tell you what happened to me. And let me tell you, and we're going to, after we've seen Jesus the first million years, perhaps, just after we see Jesus first, let's put it that way, then we'll hear all the stories, all the people we, we, we heard about. And all, it won't be, wouldn't it be wonderful? So I ask you before I pray, have you believed? I'm not asking you, have you seen a miracle? A real miracle? I'm not asking you if you are amazed by all the things you find in the, in the, in the books, the Gospels. I'm asking you, have you believed? That's the purpose. Don't get caught up on the STOP. The sign says we are to stop. Don't get caught up on all the miracles and all the hoopla. I preach to you the risen Savior. That's the one you need to know. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gospel of Mark. Thank you for the declaration of Thomas, my Lord and my God. If there be any who have not said that for themselves, may today be the day of salvation for them. It is admit, believe, confess, and call. If they've never done that, may they do so today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.